Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. One of my favorite authors and fellow podcasters back on the show, Abel James. He is a New York Times bestselling author, musician, and creator of the hit podcast, Fat Burning Man. He also has a new book out entitled Designer Babies Still Get Scabies, which is a number one international bestseller in humor and is available now. And he also wrote one of my favorite books on ancestral paleo primal health called The Wild Diet. It's one of my favorites. And of course, we'll put everything in the show notes to connect with Abel. He also has an amazing company that sells uh, something I love and use regularly called Future Greens. So he's got a company called Wild Superfoods, uh, nutritional supplements, combining cutting edge science. And so check that out. But of course, We'll talk about that a little bit towards the end. Welcome back. Al, thank you so much for having me. So first, let's go through a little brief one, because you, you and your wife have like, we're off the internet for a year. You're just starting to kind of enter back into, quote, the real world. We've sort of like caught up. You guys kind of took a hiatus there for a bit. Um, a year without internet. What happened? Yeah. It's happened a few times, actually. Uh and it's been very therapeutic in a lot of ways, extremely frustrating. And just to be clear, this isn't 100% without internet. But uh, let's see. So going back about five years ago, right before I did that ABC TV show, actually, we were living in the Smoky Mountains and it really middle of nowhere, like Sasquatch country out there. And so we had satellite internet limited to like 20 gigs, I think it was, coming and going per month and anytime rain or clouds or a storm came through <laughs> the internet was gone uh so it was it was an adventure um but one of the reasons we did that is because when you're without that sort of just like everlasting flow of content and distraction and rabbit holes you realize that it's on you to create your own life. At the end of the day, you know, you're sitting there, you're bored, there's nothing to we we didn't stream any uh, you know, Netflix, any YouTube, any <laughs> basically the only content that was streamed was the stuff that we were creating at the time. Love so it. the reason that we do that is because unplugging creates space to make things and, and to really take the reins of your own life again, instead of just doing the same thing over and over again every day and not really knowing why you're unsatisfied. And that virtual, uh, hiatus is so important. And it's why people when they go on a vacation, and they're able to really deplug, that's when new ideas are generated, new thoughts, new, new plans, you know what I mean? That's why people love going on those things, right? Because you're removing yourself from your status quo environment. And you're kind of left to sort of have new thoughts, new experiences. And you can do that without traveling somewhere. Like you said, you can just yeah. kind of check out. I love that you guys have done that a couple of times. Um, there's you know, a joy to being bored. One, I, yes. And you know what? You have to enjoy your own company, which I know you do. <laughs> so you, so your wife, cause <laughs> you, you do time. have to like yourself in order to <laughs> hang out and kind of do that. You know, for so many people that don't know you, cause there's so many things that you do, you know, you mentioned the ABC television show and I'll, I'll get back to the wild diet in a second. And your plan, it really is one of my favorite books. I recommend it to everybody. If you haven't gotten it, Thank check you. out The Wild Diet, especially the audiobook, because Abel reads it and it's just really, really great. Um, 
that came out many years ago, but then you're on this ABC reality show and you did come on and we talked about it because your guy, Kurt, was actually the winner. He was actually the winner by the fact that he lost the most percentage of body fat, even though the competition was falsely, as we know, gauging weight right? Versus fat loss. And I said it then when I interviewed you. And if tell us the title of the show. My diet is better than yours. Yeah. And if people get a chance, (laughs) most countries, (laughs) right? If people get a chance to, to go and binge this, it's great. Because like I told you, then you represented our community and in general, just your attitude, your vibe, so many of the other coaches, their attitudes, you were just like a example of like how a person should be. You were just so perfectly Aww. grounded down to earth. And your guy had all sorts of physical ailments that precluded him from doing a lot of the exercises yet through diet, yeah. as you showed everybody, it was better than everyone else's. He lost like what, 30, 20 to 30% body. <laughs> like what was the, the number? Yeah, I think it was 26 percentage points of body fat. It may have even been more than that, but he suffice it to say he was a completely different person after three and a half months of working with Kurt. And, and to this day, we're lifelong friends. We, we're like family, you know? And so I took it very seriously. It was interesting because, uh, you know, I, I did realize that it was a reality TV show and didn't have to necessarily play it straight. I could have, you know, I have a background in, in being on the stage and acting and stuff like that. And the tendency is to go on these shows and just be abused until you totally lose your mind on national television or whatever. And then they just smear you forever. So that was kind of the design. But I knew that we were up against that. So I was I was playing poker and my guy was too. Kurt was too. And it was so cool because like we, we did a little bit of meditating together. Not a whole lot. But as he changed his diet to be more fat centric fat centric and and he shifted away from being a sugar burner. You could really see the way his personality changed and he had a just more laid back way about him. And that got better and better the longer he ate that way. And so that, that was just so cool to see up close. Yeah. And I remember watching it and him having that initial reaction of like, wait, you mean I can eat bacon burgers? Like what? Like he was so <laughs> shocked that this was going to get him where he went, where everyone else was doing what you, Mark, and everyone talks about as being the old paradigm of struggle and sacrifice. And like we talked about, yeah. look, you can like starve yourself, drink a bunch of water or, or not drink water. And like the, the pounds may be less on the scale, but that's not accurate. I can also take a shitload of laxatives right now and be three pounds less tomorrow. That's not that's legit, right. right? So I, I, if anyone gets a chance to go go stream it and check it out, you will be even more inspired about your your paradigm. Let's talk about this fat-centric diet. Um, one of the things that I do remember and love about the wild diet, and I know I've brought it up to you before, but I think about it sometimes because I've actually had to pull moves like this, which is yeah. you had this moment where you're like, there was nothing in the fridge and you knew you needed some sustenance. So you just like ate a stick of butter. <laughs> it's happened. Yeah. It's happened. Well, that's, you know, the interesting thing is I didn't do that for any particular reason other than I was thinking about, all right, as simple as it gets, sugar burner or fat burner, let's think about this as fuel. And I think I was at the time running a bunch and I I just, I did, I needed to refuel with something and I didn't see the calories around that were clean um, for anything other than that. And so as an experiment for a few weeks, I traveled around with butter because it's pretty travel friendly and it got me through quite a few jams. I got to say it's, it's not necessarily something that I do uh, regularly, 
but I definitely keep it in my bag of tricks. Yeah, and I thought of you because uh, over a year ago, we had these like massive fires in Malibu, and I was like trapped at the beach yeah. overnight, and I hadn't eaten since like five that morning. But I remember thinking to myself, thank God I'm a fat burner because I'm not going to suffer. I'm good. My body's like kicking right. into ketosis right now. But at, at yeah. late night, someone brought a, a tub of stuff down, like one of the firemen brought like a tub of stuff and had a bunch of muffins and bread and rolls. And then there was like a big thing of almond butter. And I literally made that calculative decision where I was like, you know what? Because even though technically, I'm sure we would have been saved. But in that moment of fright, we didn't know, like, am I going to be trapped at this beach for days? When am I going to eat next? You know, there was a little bit of a survival mode. And I took like the biggest scoop of that almond butter because I was like, that's going to yeah. sustain me in the event that like, shit goes down and I'm not out of here tomorrow or something. And all these other people were going right for the muffins and everything. And I'm like, good luck in two hours. You're going to be hating it. Um, so when in doubt, those things can be a savior, a little sip of olive oil, half an avocado, a little couple pieces of butter. Um, you know, you mentioned sugar burner and fat burner. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but can you, I, I want to hear you talk about it. T tell tell our audience what the difference is and why it's important to edge more towards the fat paradigm. I can speak to my own personal experience here first, perhaps, and then we can go whichever direction you want. But for me, um, I've I've always been somewhat athletic. I like that. It's a part of like who I am. And so being younger, I read a lot of running magazines. Uh, this was all about carb loading. You know, I, when I was getting into marathoning and running a bunch, I did cross country uh, running back in the day and as well as cross country mountain biking. And so just burning through a lot of calories, I was definitely a sugar burner primarily. And I'd never really experienced or experimented with intermittent fasting or or anything like that. So this is me until my early 20s or so. And my my mental state was much shorter. I had a bit more of a temper. I was much more impatient. Um, I remember in the afternoons, especially, I would get this enormous lag. But mostly, I would feel like I needed to snack all day. Every two hours, I needed something. I needed that muffin, that that uh, Nutrigrain bar, that Kudos, or what you know, like whatever that little thing was that was supposed to be healthy, you know, because it's it's for climbers, because it's a cliff bar, or for it's for runners, and it's uh, Gatorade or whatever, or these little sugar cubes. And so I was cranky. You could tell I was running on sugar. Shift to now for the past about ten years now, um, starting off with with fasting primarily, and then uh, you know sixteen eight fasting. So I would have my first meal around noon uh, for the most part and then stop eating between six and eight at night. After doing this for a while, I uh, am able to like I haven't eaten today. Usually on recording days, I don't eat until three, four p.m., sometimes even six p.m. And uh, getting by throughout the day without having to shovel food in my mouth. Think about what's coming next. Clean, clean up after it. Cook it. Uh, source it and go shopping for it. It's really complicated when you're eating six or eight meals a day. But when you're able to fast, have a clear head and uh, and be really intentional about what you're eating, you can, it's easier, at least for me, to be cleaner. And, uh, and it shows up in almost every aspect of my life. But I, I think the biggest part is really psychological and that mental benefit that you get. 
I think in a lot of ways, it does take your own power back. It's such an amazing difference in the mental clarity and sustainability. And I'm with you too, like with podcasting and stuff, I don't usually then eat my meal until maybe sometimes two or three. It feels Mm -hmm. so much better. My brain's on fire. I never thought, again, being a sugar burner from the past that I could live like this. It's such a sense of freedom, you know, and that's what so many of the uh, Mark's Daily Apple success stories and your success stories say. It's like, oh, it's so nice to not be addicted to food or feel like you have to open the fridge every two hours. That's just not cheaper right. Too. It's so cheaper, cheaper, so much cheaper. And people think it's more expensive to do this. And actually, at first, it might be while you get fat adapted, because you might be overeating a little bit. But then, sure. like, as you know, you know, you get metabolically efficient, you get calorically efficient. Um yeah, I mean, you've been doing it for like what, past nine or 10 years? Um, 16, yeah. eight, or do you do 24 sometimes? 20 and then? Yeah, 20. I do. I do mostly 24, most days, but I'm not absolutely strict. It's funny. I have more dreams about eating breakfast that are just kind of random than I do actually like <laughs> eat breakfast, but, but it does happen sometimes. Yeah, um, and I think but, that's important to follow your intuition, right? Like if you wake up on a day and you happen to crave some sausage at 10, you're not going to deny it because you're a person that intermittent fasts. Exactly. And I think that's so important because the boundaries are always moving. You never know exactly where the target's going to be. And whatever's working for you now, um, that's that's what really matters, not what worked yesterday. So we always have to be intuitive about that and, and check ourselves and be totally honest about it. But just to go back to our previous point, you were talking about, and I think it's such a great one, survival scenarios. And the people who are yeah, addicted to food are going to be ravenous in a terrible state and less likely to to survive because you're going to make worse decisions even more on top of that, especially, you know, with all the flus and pandemics and all of all of that. If you're eating sugar, your immune system is taking a hit directly after that. And if you're already stressed, these little things can all add up to you or your family getting sick or or really not being in a great position when otherwise, if you did have you know, that, that nut butter around or the actual butter or coconut oil, or you're just fasting. You have this massive advantage when, when, you know, shit gets real and it does. And it's very protective. You know, I've had a couple of conversations recently about, you know, higher LDL and not being bad, right. And being protective and sort of antibacterial. And this is what fat is for. And I never get sick. I mean, I really don't. And I believe it's, it's because of that. Whereas before, um, I would get more like colds or like a cold coming on in the last couple of days, but I'd get something. And now it just seems mm-hmm. like ever since adopting this, I just really don't get sick. Or at least I've noticed that I, I used to get hammered. I was sick all the time. Um, and, and I really got clobbered when I did get sick for days and just kind of like out. But now I might notice that I'm kind of like starting to get sick. But then, you know, I hit some herbs and I hit some some supplements that I've relied on and I do certain things and to make sure to hit the sleep. And for the most part, you know, it's one of these things that could be 24 hours or maybe it just feels like you're half sick for a couple of days, then you're fine. And, yeah. Um, and that protocol too, what I've learned from the doc on my book and in general is, you know, one of these tricks, like at the moment when you start to feel like something might be brewing, mm-hmm. jam major vitamin D for three days straight, like yep. major vitamin D. Sometimes that can actually catch it. Aside from, you know, I do a little drop of oregano oil here and there and uh, yep. some vitamin C, but sometimes the vitamin D, man, and that's up to like even 150,000 I use a day, which seems ridiculously high, but you you jam that in there. It's like an immune system boost. And I've had friends who've done it and they're living in Chicago and the kids are sick and flus and they, they do it and they're like, oh my God. Just the vitamin D did it for me. Like it just got me out of that within like 24 hours versus a full prolonged operation. Yeah. And 
at the very least, even the placebo effect, being health nuts is very useful. So, I mean, if we have <laughs> anything in our bag of tricks, just like whatever you believe in, like, let's get it in there. I think we're going to need it. The world's getting scary out there. Tell us, um, I mean, you are uh, sort of a model, almost like Mark is of anti-aging. Tell us about what training for longevity looks like for you. Oh, don't get injured, man. Oh, man, don't get injured. So one of the things growing up, I always wanted to be faster, like, <laughs> like most people do, especially as an athlete and a competitor. But an, an interesting thing happened. Someone close to me who was an excellent runner, uh, very competitive uh, at the marathon level, ran Boston and all this stuff. Anyway, he was much faster than me growing up um, and, and pretty much forever. But I remember this one moment when I was running and I got a little tweak in my right knee. And it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, I shouldn't run on this. It doesn't feel right. You know, it, it hurts every time I come down. And, and I, back in that day, I wasn't running with correct form. I've kind of shift that, shifted that. That's a whole other story. But, um, but I went up to this guy who's so fast and runs so well. And I'm just like, man, what should I do? I'd like, I really want to train. I want to get faster, but this, this knee is, is bad. I, I shouldn't run on it. He's just, he's just like run through the pain. He looked me straight in the face. He's just like run through the pain and skip ahead to, you know, that worked for a few years. I tried to do that once. It did not work for me. I had to take weeks off and I was just hobbled by this skip ahead to when we're 30. He had to get a new hip. And now I think he has to get two or he might already be on his second hip in his, you know, 30s and was told multiple times for years now never to run again, that he would never run again. And he still does sometimes. But you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> that's not training for longevity. And and if you're willing to take a hit at the competition level, let's be honest with each other. 99.9% .9 of us are not Mark Sisson back in the day when he was, you know, winning at, at the international level. Most of us are doing this to keep our health and, and to keep our spirits up in this really long journey ahead. So training for longevity, I think starts with, with the mental piece. It's like, what do you want to accomplish here? And what are your goals? For me, one overarching one is, is I want to be strong. I want to maintain strength. And one of the reasons I want to is because I feel better that way, especially my back gets jacked up when I'm not training. And, and so I feel better when I'm training. Um, but you age much better when you're balanced. One of the best predictors of how long you're going to live and how healthy you're going to be is the amount of lean muscle that you're able to maintain. And so that's a goal that I want to do forever. But if you blow your knee out or you blow out a shoulder or whatever, or you really hurt yourself, um, that goal becomes eventually impossible because you can only hurt yourself so many times. You get a couple of mulligans, I think. But once you're really jacked up, it's much harder to train for longevity. So it's, it's really all about balance. Yeah. And even mentioning Mark and his 250 plus endurance competitions, number one, he says he never had fun at any mm -hmm. of them. <laughs> so mm -hmm. none of them were ever fun. And he was decrepit and injured and a mess by the time he was like 28 or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like he had to go then train other people because they right. did push through that pain, that no pain, no gain is so wrong. And I think a lot of people get trapped by, um, a goal of a triathlon or a goal of a 10K. I have seen this happen so many times where someone's going to sign up for it. They're having some trouble with their either like, all right, I'm going to work through it. And you're like, don't do it. Don't work through it. Don't let the goal of that competition 
it's going to ruin your knee. Like what's more yeah. important, you know, people. So sometimes you can be attached to idea. You got to let, you got to know when it's time to just go, I have to quit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as we want to feel like doing that monster workout on one day is going to matter, it doesn't. It really doesn't. I've been amazed by like when I broke my foot or have something that I haven't really been able to work out the way that I did before. I've been so crazy impressed with with how the body responds to simple just recovery on your way back. If you're if you're really being careful with your injuries, that's really the most important thing. Uh, and one thing that I've learned as well, for a lot of people who used to be athletes, part of the getting older thing is the old injuries come back to haunt you. So you got to be really careful with those. And and so one of the pieces of that that I do and I, I've been doing for five, seven plus years now is simple mobility exercises in the form of Qigong or Tai Chi exercises in the morning, five, six days a week. I'll do this for about five or 10 minutes. And it's just getting yourself into simple positions, bending down, staying flexible, getting down into a deep squat most days, staying down there for a little bit, making sure that I'm sitting on the floor a lot of the time and, and getting up and down many times a day. I think these things, if you work them into your environment, then it makes it a lot easier to maintain the, the musculature and the balance and the posture that you really need to make it through because the health nuts out there, it's like we're one in 10 now. We're shrinking. It's crazy. I, I can't believe it. But if you look at the numbers, it's scary. That's amazing. And I want to jump around a bit. There's some things people might not know about you that are kind of interesting. So I'm going to throw a few things out and then I want to get to your new book. Um, tell us about you and your wife almost dying from carbon monoxide poisoning and how you recovered and detoxed from that. Yeah. So that was the worst thing that has ever happened to us. And it was about Six months ago, um, long story short, we were at a rental property and the furnace was malfunctioning. We didn't know this. There was a gas leak, multiple kinds of gas leaks. One of the things that was leaking was carbon monoxide into our bedroom where my wife, uh, myself, and our dog were sleeping. And so this actually happened multiple times because the furnace wasn't fixed by people who should have fixed it and all this stuff. It's another longer story, but we were being slowly but surely poisoned and then quickly poisoned as the furnace got worse. And um, for people who aren't familiar with carbon monoxide and carbon monoxide poisoning, it's something that you can't smell, you can't see. Uh, it comes out of car exhaust, out of furnaces when you burn propane uh, hot water boilers, that sort of thing. So if it's not vented correctly or if it's uh, working inefficiently and kind of burning dirty, then it releases all of this toxic gas and it was seeping up through the walls of this rental house. And so once it reaches your body, it displaces, displaces oxygen and essentially suffocates you slowly but surely. And as you're being suffocated, sometimes you start hemorrhaging, which happened to both of us. And the dog too, lots of nausea. You, you start to lose control of the nervous system and it was ugly. So <laughs> we, how, yeah, we that's a, that's a it, long haul. Yeah. How did you get yourself out of that? I mean, once you recognize what it was, obviously either fix the furnace or leave that place, but what did you do to detox from this onslaught? Yeah, we literally packed up our stuff in gas masks and, and left. Um, 
but then began the long road to recovery and we were not really able to breathe that well and were coughing a lot and mostly just sleeping 14, 16 hours a day with ruthless pain in the spine. So just kind of a bunch of symptoms at the same time. And we didn't really know what exactly to do or where to start. But we uh, thankfully up in the mountains of Colorado um, made friends with a wonderful uh, a doctor who and healer, a few different people who we worked with, including my mom, who's a holistic nurse practitioner who really helped us in so many different ways in our families. Um, but we went in and got a whole bunch of vitamins, glutathione, magnesium in the form of IVs, uh, and, and just a whole spectrum of vitamins, a little bit different for Allison, depending on her symptoms, a little bit different for me. We would come in multiple times a week and we did that for weeks. And so we were really specific, specific about our supplements, um, and, and what sort of nutrients we were targeting at the time. Uh, but even before that I had no appetite, so I didn't extended fast for three or four days, a couple of times in the first month of recovering lots of sleep. Um, but since this was a highly neurological thing that we were struggling with and, and, you know, honestly still kind of are, uh, it's, it's kind of like coming back from a major car accident or a brain trauma event, a concussion in the sense that if you push it too hard too soon, then you're going to go back. You're going to have to be sentenced to being in bed and, and barely being able to open your eyes because of a splitting headache for a few days. And so that was something I hadn't really, I've had concussions before, but I, I hadn't had that sort of experience in a long time. And so that was very humbling for someone. I know, Al, you're, you're similar uh, in the sense that you're type A and Mark, Mark Sisson, like, you know, we don't like not being able to do things. I did not like yeah, that being unable to work, <laughs> unable to work out, unable to heal as quickly as I wanted to. And so spiritually and emotionally, um, that was hard. That was hard. Um, Major exercise in patience and trust and uh, letting it be what it is until yeah. it's over. That's always tough for type A and especially when you're healthy and you want to move and do all the things you can. And I agree with you almost everything when you start to get better from something, and you start to feel a little bit better. The inclination is to jump in and be like, yeah, I have that energy again. I'm going to go. Nope, I'm going to take five steps backwards. Don't do yep. that. Chill. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You can get rocked. So there were different steps. And then once I kind of got out of that step where I was just healing and kind of laying there for a month, <laughs> I, uh, I always do feel better when I go for a run and get a good sweat going and, and really, uh, I get into that, I guess you would call it the fat burning zone of exercise where you're really not, you're not pulling your glycogen sores and crushing it. You're not going as fast and as hard as you can, but you're more just kind of cruising and sweating it, sweating it out. And so for me, we live up in the mountains, uh, in Colorado and I just love going out for a good run. So once I was able to do that, um, I found that I would feel so crummy, you know, uh, often in the afternoons, it was like, sometimes I'd feel okay in the morning and the, by the afternoon, just like all of the, the toxins that my body was dealing with and, and getting rid of would add up. And, and so, uh, I would go for a run five, six miles or whatever, nice and slow or, or nice and easy for the most part, sometimes bring, bring the dog. And after that, I would just feel okay for a little while and sleep well. And so I, uh, I felt that doing the cardio 
was actually not the chronic cardio in the sense that you're you're punished and you have to do this, but it was much more of a moving meditation for me, and that was so important. Um, and and I think really did help, especially with the muscle and spine pain, because there's a tendency, especially when you're in pain, to stoop or to be in some sort of unnatural position. But I'm sure you experienced this as well. When you exercise, when you when you lift a little bit of weight, or you go out and you you go for some sprints or a run, uh, you use those muscles. You kind of can tell that you your lymph system has been able to drain out and work through some junk. Your blood as well. You've got fresh blood in those muscles, and you can feel that your brain is oxygenated, and that's that's real medicine right there. I have yet to do any drug or take any pill that gives me the rush that a a good sweat does that a good at, you know, exercise session really gives you. Did you also, um, entertain and involve things like sauna therapy or anything else or just the sweat yeah. from workout? Yep. Um, so saunas we did some of, but even more than that in Colorado, uh, up here, there are some amazing options for mineral baths and hot springs and all of that. So, uh, we were able to do that, you know, kind of recreationally, but also like very seriously on a regular clip, sometimes multiple times per week, we actually brought our RV to a hot spring and lived there for a couple of weeks. And we went almost every day. And that really helped with some of the nerve pain and the the muscle pain. And to be honest, after, you know, the session, sometimes I would feel really rough and have a terrible headache. But I, but then when I would wake up the next morning, I would feel better because of it. So sometimes it's like you do little things and part of the healing is getting worse for a little while, then you get better. But, but that was big. And then on top of that as well, and somewhat related was, uh, and this has surprised me, red light, near infrared, uh, red light therapy has been something that I, when I you first, thought it was a bunch of snake oil hogwash when you first, <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, so you stand in front of this red and invisible light for a while. And then like, everything gets better. Your muscle recovery gets better. You sleep better. Your skin gets better. Collagen production. I'm just like, okay, whatever. You can send me one. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, when I actually experienced it, especially after some heavy hill runs, like doing some workouts that usually I know how hurt I should feel or, or, you know, I know how I usually feel afterwards. Um, after standing in front of one of these, you know, big full body lights for 10, 15 minutes, I couldn't believe how much I could feel it. Um, not just that day, but the next day. And also for skin health, for, for nerve pain, it's been something that I'm kind of experimenting with. I don't think there's any free lunch. I'm sure we don't know everything about it. And, uh, there can be too much of a good thing too. Right. So I don't think that there's any magic bullet, but usually I get sent stuff and you probably too, that doesn't work at all, or is just total hogwash. So it was really refreshing to get something that that actually is pretty cool and does seem to work. <laughs> yeah, I'll give a shout out to our friends at Juve yes. um, as well, who are amazing. Scott Nelson, the owner and uh, co-founder there, they make great products. And again, I also was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, at first, too, I was totally right? skeptical about it. But Scott's great. I just had him on my show, too. And, and Juve is the one that I'm talking about. I've tried a few other smaller units as well, but um, with the big units, it's really effective. Yeah, and, they, and, like. and, and that's kind of like what you said. It's like it's not like all day, every day you're trying to push it. It's like six to eight minutes either right. side naked and you're good to go. You're fine. You know, yep. it's not – it doesn't have to be a cumbersome thing. Um, and also, too, I mean, not that this is an ad for Juve, but t just major shout out to them. They've created so many – like I have their travel device as well that you just like – 
Yeah, oh, cool. like such a cool thing to be able to take with you when you're traveling and not have to give up on it or directly target it to an area, right? Like your face or something like that. So, you yep. know, and their products have just yep. gotten uh, better and more amazing um, with more options. So uh, might as well say for anyone curious, it's com for Jew for the red light therapy. Um, let's talk, uh, switch gears. This is something even Rob Wolf and some other people in our sphere have talked about. And I kind of think it's interesting. I want to ask you your opinion, which is, Let's talk about corporate censorship and shadow banning by major platforms and how kind of that's scary for online creators. Can you give us a definition of that and talk to us about that? Don't think about a white polar bear. (laughs) (laughs) Don't think about it. So (laughs) there have been a bunch of psychological studies that basically do that. You try to not think about something. And when you don't think about something or you're not allowed to talk about something, it becomes all enveloping. And it's like this, this taboo, whatever. And mostly it just puts your mind through the ringer. Um, you don't know what you're allowed to talk about, which words you're allowed to say. And so I, I don't know exactly what happened with Rob, but for most creators I know, and for most people around me, it's like for a while there, it seemed like the internet and audio and video was kind of indie and we could get away with going against the status quo going against what the mainstream may be saying, going with a different narrative perhaps than the one that we're taught in school. Maybe not accepting the food pyramid on its face, you know? And so as time has gone by, there have been certain words, certain videos, certain whatever, where it's like that's taken down or like YouTube won't show it anymore or Facebook took this down and I can't talk to this person anymore or whatever. And that's really creepy. Like right now there's a potential pandemic and and all these other things, but I'm not sure if I should use a certain word because I know that if you put out videos or blog posts or other posts with these certain words, then they're shadow banned and buried by these major platforms. And so that's really concerning because, oh, and another thing on top of this is, you know, Rob, Mark, myself, and, and, and a lot of us out there, you as well, Al, we depend on the subscribers on these platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, who have subscribed to us. We expect to have some sort of communication, or at least they'd be able to see our content. But in this day and age, even though we have hundreds of thousands of subscribers, in a lot of cases, our videos get 50 views, 100 views or whatever. The subscribers no longer see our stuff. And that's really concerning because I'm not sure if the people on the other end who are listening and watching these videos know how much it's been hijacked by basically now you go on Google and instead of finding Mark and Rob and whomever, you know, maybe these these people who are PhDs who have had these websites since 1997 or whatever, you find Fox News and you find MSN and you find CNN and you find the traditional narrative once again. So I'm not sure exactly what to do about this, except to to emphasize that we're all in this together and we really need to support each other and team up to the extent that we can to help, you know, really push this movement of health, of true health forward, because this beast of modern medicine and the food industrial complex and all of this, it's a mess. We need some help and we need to get organized. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Oh, does it need to be said again that the government food pyramid is a type two diabetes making diet? It's not. It is. It just is. You follow that, and you're right. going to go. <laughs> you're going to have metabolic dysfunction. Yet it's still up there and being propagated. And or then you know again, like um, you know, I know you know C.J. Hunt, one of my favorite people, the uh, creator, yeah. um, director, and writer of uh, the Perfect Human Diet. And you know, he'll he. I've had him on several times, and I'll call him directly when I see some article, and I'll be like, all right. Like, let's get let's get into this. And he'll look and see who wrote it. And you do the research and then you realize like one of the articles where they say, oh, you know, this low carb thing is stupid. You should still be able to eat potatoes. It's really like you if you dig deeper, you find out that just literally the article writer and a few other people in the office were like, yeah, well, we like this. So we're just going to put that in there. Like there's no right. science behind it um, or denying certain things like I'm sure the biggest one right now is probably the carnivore movement. And they're just those guys, yeah. Paul Saladino is just getting his ass handed to him on all these interviews. And he's so great. And he's wonderful. But you cannot deny the, the thousands and thousands of people that are healing from autoimmune disorders as a result of it. And I know some personally, right. like that. And no yeah. one's going out there saying everyone should eat a carnivore diet, but no one should be poo pooing that either when there's no science behind demonizing an all meat and organ nose to tail uh, paradigm. So, you know, my God, but now keto, right, is a buzzword and it's out there. But as you know, yeah. people can still do keto with unhealthy options. And that's not dirty, dirty keto, keto. And that's not what we would obviously suggest. So I'm hoping it's getting better instead of just fads. But yeah, it's something to look out for. I know that uh, Rob and some other people have posted things, even Dr. Ken Berry, who's really trying to get people off of, you know, the glucose monitoring medications and get people back into order with that yeah. is uh, has experienced a lot of that. So it is scary out there. And you're just gonna have to search a little bit harder um, to, to find this kind of information. Let's um you know, I want to talk to you about, uh, okay, so you did something really interesting on part of your sort of like time away. Uh, you created 400 immersive virtual reality experiences and improv music videos. Tell us about that and what you guys learned from that experience, because that's a major creative endeavor. It was. It was something that I always really was fascinated by. I'm like, virtual reality? Ever since I, I remember... When I was a kid, the Nintendo, what was it, like Virtual Boy? I think they pulled it because it was like horrible for your eyes or something. But way back then, virtual reality has been around for a while. And I really wanted to see what it was and how it worked and all of that. And my my wife, Allison, was a former professional video game player um, and esports and that sort of thing. So she's she's into VR and videography even more than that, especially these days. So that was a just personal fascination for us. But but even more so, I'll, I'll kind of go back to what I was talking about before, making space when you unplug. Surprisingly, I did that virtual reality creation, which I think it's two, for most of the files I made, it's two gigabytes per minute for these VR files. And <laughs> it was crazy, the amount of cards and hard drives or whatever we filled up with this stuff. But um, we didn't have internet. We weren't streaming content. And so like being kind of bored, I decided I wanted to make my wife laugh and I wanted to be the entertainer or whatever. And so we made a whole <laughs> You're bunch. like, I'll be the content. Exactly. And so since there was no content to stream or consume, I just decided to put on like a show every night and, and make up stuff on the spot. Sometimes music. Uh, sometimes I did some like poetry readings and stuff. But then a lot of that as well was uh, going out in nature and capturing uh, wildlife. So we would put 
these these 360 VR cameras in the middle of <laughs> uh, bison, uh, hundreds of bison sometimes surrounds the camera. And so you can go back and like put the goggles on and be inside of this herd of bison as if you're one of them. It's really wild. Um, and then as well with, with birds and things like that. So it was really fun from a videography standpoint to kind of see things from a different perspective. Um, and for most people haven't experienced, uh, VR and really seen what it's capable of, but when it does get out there and it's probably still quite a few years off, but when it does get out there, it will be massive for education. Uh, in the sense that, for example, we went to my brother's, uh, farm in upstate New York and, and he, he kind of gave a virtual tour of the way that he was growing each of his different vegetables. And you can see up close the soil and the bugs and the insects, and you can look all around and you can see what the weather's like by looking up. And it's just going to be incredible because in the future, you won't necessarily have to have a whole lot of money to experience something that's extremely close to being physically there. And for education, I think it presents a great opportunity. And on the other side of that, unfortunately, if it's used for evil or, or in the sense that people, the consumers are being taken advantage of by the content creators, um, it can be extremely damaging because when you're immersed in virtual reality, you, you can actually have dreams about this stuff. It, I mean, it feels real in a totally different and novel way. So it's, I think we need to, hopefully, if anyone wants to get into it, focus on the good and try to stay away from the horror and the gun shooting and some of the other stuff that's, that's, you know, really taking over on these platforms, unfortunately, because you can, you can waste your time anywhere, but you can spend it in a valuable way as well, um, on the internet, on social media, or certainly in VR. So you've got to use it well, but it's, it's going to be big when it does hit. But I, I think we're still a few years off. How can we see it? You guys are publishing some actual virtual reality adventure tours and 360 yeah. virtual reality of like Yellowstone and, you know, America's Stonehenge and like a dozens more. So how can we keep posted about that and when those will come out so we can enjoy them? Yeah. So there are a bunch of them that are already out. Tours uh, of volcanoes, America's Stonehenge, as you mentioned, uh, Yellowstone, the Tetons, many others. You can go to ablejames.com. For that. And uh, you can also find it on many VR platforms and, and Vimeo and, and a few other places, but it's abeljames.com. So that's where there's fat burning man for the, <laughs> the health focused stuff and, and, and my stuff that's more on point with this meth message and, and tailored to this community. And then there's, of course, me acting out and doing the whole artistic stuff and experimental stuff over on abeljames.com. I love. Well, let's get into that because um, while you've mostly been a writer and a blogger about health and stuff, you have a new book out called Designer Babies Still Get Scabies, a small book of mostly silly poetry based on some true stories. This is really fun. What Tell us about this because this is, I mean, it's like, okay, that's kind of off brand, you know, right? Or, or this is a new direction. Uh, but I love, by the way, what, what a sell on taking yourself out of the world and doing what you've done because so many new creative things have come in, including this. Tell us about this book. Thanks. Well, okay. So that was another thing that just kind of came out of the empty space, right? When we weren't consuming all this content, I'm just like, what am I going to do? So I'd wake up and I just write a few silly rhymes. But a lot of times the reason I would do that is because I don't swear on my podcast. 
I don't talk about things that are too political most of the time. I'm not combative. I do this on purpose. I want it to be, you know, a place where we can come together and help, help people. But especially in this world, like I was saying, there are certain words that we can't say anymore. As uh, I, I grew up doing some improv comedy and, and performance like that, and it's gotten harder and harder to joke about things or talk about things, especially the things that are divisive or controversial. So for me, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I had to process some of these really rough themes, like destroying the world, like basically industry and governments and the military destroying the world and cultures in front of us. Like all the horrors that we've, we've, uh, or, or, you know, the imperialists did to the natives and all these other things that are just, ah, it hurts to think about this. One of the ways that I, that I deal with it and process it is by thinking it through. And I found that if you rhyme, <laughs> then you can get away with some things that you, that you might not <laughs> otherwise be able to say. So in this book, designer babies still get scabies. I, I, I really try to put some serious themes of mother nature is our friend. Let's work with her. Uh, of let's eat real food as well is, is definitely a theme in there. Um, but also it gets a little bit political. Um, I, I punch up at patriarchal ideas and, uh, things that I see as hypocrisy. And, you know, it's been a while since I've read poetry or heard an audiobook that gets me all riled up. And, uh, <laughs> this is one that I just kind of wanted to put out there because some other people, seem to enjoy it. And I think it helps us deal with, uh, when we can laugh about horror, <laughs> then we can process it a little bit and then know how to move forward. Cause we've got a mess on our hands. You know, we, we really do. Yeah. Th there are a lot of opportunities of course, but we've got to act fast if we want to save the next generations. And if we want to save, um, you know, the earth from what's <laughs> what's happening to it the native yeah, americans I mean, I, you know according to some some books that i've recently read thought at least seven generations ahead and that's why some in some cases especially here in colorado and in utah they would form trees that are still here into shapes that were basically their own language so that you know the generation seven uh, seven generations later would be able to find their way to the spots that had water and the vision quests and all this and it's like are we doing that now <laughs> Is that, is that really yeah. how we're spending our time? We can do better than this. And we need more humor. I mean, that's, yeah. that's my jam. There's no such thing as too soon in my book. I will nice. start making fun of natural disasters. <laughs> Even if I'm in the middle of one and I'm crying, I'm still going to be making jokes. It helps us I do. It really it does, does. And I see the humor in everything and there is humor in everything. And so, gosh, you know, even in the past 10 years, so as a comedian, wow, I'm like watching all these comedians getting hit right. left and right, you know, and uh, go back to like Don Rickles days, right, where he yep. could say anything. Yep. And um, people are just super sensitive um, in a lot of ways. And while I think some of the things that have been said clearly maybe weren't good timing or all right, maybe could have passed on that one. For the most part, though, it's just that people are so sensitive. We've got to lighten up. And if you're going through a health issue, you and I both know this, get rid of the drama. Start yeah. watching comedy, stand up, yeah. Yeah. funny shows. This stuff heals people. And if you are, you know, attentive to the news constantly because of the political climate, man, you need to counterbalance that with, with comedy and humor. Don't go to bed watching a murder show, CSI, right before you go yeah. to sleep. I mean, these things filter into our subconscious. Absolutely. And what I love about your book, it's really, I love the cover and I love it. And it's great to just like have on the coffee table and, you know, the, 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 the what do you mean by designer babies? So designer babies, the idea that we can 
and and supposedly some already have manipulate the DNA of our offspring and, you know, essentially test tube babies into being prettier or resist disease or make sure they don't get HIV or AIDS or whatever. But the idea that we can actually go in as humans with modern science as it is and actually do that and know what we're doing is pretty suspect to me. So, uh, Designer Baby Still Get Scabies is poking at that, and uh, that's just one of the poems that does. But in a lot of the, the poems, it's like I, re- <laughs> I rewrote Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and Gold- Goldilocks doesn't win in this version. Um, and, and, and so you'll find that that's kind of a theme that, that keeps happening. Yes, we can think that we're smarter than nature and that we can monocrop our way to health. Um, but I, th- I think if we look around, we can see that that's not working. That industrial, like bigger is better, top down doesn't work when it comes to health, especially when ethics and morals aren't a part of the equation. So we kind of need to band together and grassroots our way out of this, I think, because the solution is not going to come from the top down. Yeah. All right. In I I have like a million other things I'd like to ask you. You could go on for hours. Um, Let's talk about, well, let's talk about your company, Wild Superfoods. I love your Future Greens product. You sell other things. Tell us what you guys offer. I mean, and this is what I love too, is that people like you who've had a voice, have gotten to a certain point, are making products to help all of us live an easier, better life and supplements to to assist us in this goal. So tell us about Wild Superfoods. Thank you. That's that's one of the coolest things about doing this for a while now is, is looking around and seeing um, some of the folks who I who I met almost 10 years ago now at a paleo conference or in in some way related to ancestral health. Now they have their own thriving companies and they're helping to feed people or get people nutrients. And, uh, you know, Mark Sisson has been someone I've looked up to for, for a long time now, as we were discussing, you know, and, uh, and looking around at, at the things that can really help people, especially moving forward. What are people missing these days? For the most part, it's clean food and good nutrients. And for wild superfoods, right now we're starting with shelf-stable nutrients and and nutraceuticals. So we've got omega supplements. We have a vitamin D stack. We have an immune stack coming. We'll be uh, having some collagen coming as well. But these are things that can last for a period of time, even if you're in a food desert, even if you're traveling. Like for me and my wife, we've been living on the road um, pretty much this whole time on and off. And so nutrients can be hard to find. And the idea of actually feeding people in this physical world is like a dream come true for <laughs> me and my wife. So it's, it opens the door to a whole lot of that coming. Uh, but also, you know, after doing this for a while, we believe that there are quite a few supplements that, uh, that can be extremely, extremely helpful for optimizing your, your life and your health. And especially after the carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, I've, I've always, um, wanted to believe in supplements and and believe that you can help yourself with herbs and, and these sorts of things. But until you really hit rock bottom and you need to heal, sometimes you don't experience the true benefits that some of these things can bring. So, yeah. And uh, the, the future greens is so delicious. A lot of the green powders out there, suck. I've tried all of them. I'm just going to say, um, I do, I I, I will admit I do also like Organifi, but I like to switch it up with future greens. And what I do is I mix, like I I do fast, I go work out. And then when I'm doing sauna and steam and hanging out my gym, chilling, I do a scoop of, uh, the greens that you have with, um, like some collagen 
and just shake that up. Yeah, and that's like, nice. uh, that's like my man, I don't really need munch for a couple more hours until I eat. And it's just, it feels good to get all that stuff in there when you're low yep. carb too. Um, you know, I don't want to stuff my face with the rainbow of vegetables every day, you know, yeah. I mean, my gosh, that can be even bloating. So it's just yep. nice to be able to have it and to travel with too. Like these are the things that I travel with and always put a scoop in and do it because they're again, like you said, shelf stable and ready to go. So people can go to wildsuperfoods.com, right? For that. Yeah, that's at wildsuperfoods.com. And right now it's only in the U.S., but uh, hopefully we'll be able to expand in the future. But another, I should say, the the biggest reason in a lot of ways that we started this up is so that we can be our own sponsor in a lot of ways to create our content because the, the, especially being on a reality TV show and ABC and all this other stuff, content creation can be hairy these days. What you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. So we're doing our best to keep it independent and, and help our community at the same time. And so, yeah, we believe in it. We're, we're proud of it. And it's just kind of getting off the ground. But another pe- a piece of great advice that, that Mark Sisson passed on along to me as we got started is, uh, you know, you have to make sure that your, your products taste good. And they, and you know what, that's the test of the greens. That's the test of your greens. Cause if you take, if you wet a finger and take it in there and take it, you can actually, it's tasty without jimming it up with other stuff. It's just tasty on its own. And that's very difficult for greens. It's so hard. Oh man, for years we tried, I can't tell you how many freaking superfoods and different powders we got in our eyeballs. And (laughs) a lot of them really do taste horrible. It's amazing. So that's awesome. Well, there's uh, there's so much going on with you. So we're going to put everything in the show notes, but um, ablejames.com, also Fat Burning Man, your podcast, Rolling Again. So excited about that. Tell us also where we can find Designer Baby Still Get Scabies. Is it on Amazon or just through your website, Abel James? <laughs> yes, it is on Amazon and the audio book is there as well. And actually, if you go to designerbabiesbook.com, then I give away the audio book for free when you buy the paperback version through Amazon. So go to designerbabiesbook.com. You can get all the details, but also, yes, it's available on Amazon. That and, is so uh, really awesome that you're doing that. That's so awesome that you're doing that where you buy the book and you get the free audio book. That's really cool. Yeah, this is fun. It's fun. It's fun. And I'm glad that's just like showing another part of you. I mean, because, you know, people are such fans of yours and we can talk health all day long, but there's other parts of us, you know, and um, it's just interesting. And I love all the creative stuff you've been doing. Um, of course, we will you put too, your book, too. I mean, it's you could say that that's out of right, you know, what out of the norm, but I see it all as the same. You know, it's really important that we we be holistic and balanced human beings with all these different and wacky parts. It's those wacky things like writing a book about confidence. That is so cool because I wouldn't do that, you know, and and you wouldn't write one about scabies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's fun. And also too, like, right, mind, body, you can't look, you could be as healthy as you want, but what if you're just out there in the world and you can't speak up or you're have low self-esteem? I mean, how's that going to contribute to one's health, right? So, and same with your book, just fun and light and uh, looking at these kind of heavy topics in a new fun way, I just think is great. So Thanks again for joining us. We will put everything to connect with you in the show notes, and I'm excited to uh, talk with you soon. Thank you, Al. Hey there, Primal Blueprint listeners. Did you know that Primal Kitchen Collagen Peptides help support hair, skin, and nails? Well, we offer a variety of collagen products to suit everyone's palate, from unflavored to mango pineapple or golden turmeric, to our keto matcha or chai tea collagen latte mixes, and much more. Visit us at primalkitchen.com and start fueling your day with collagen peptides.